Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, wraps up our series on marriage. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. God has given many of us a relationship for life, but have we respected it or have we taken it for granted and not lived by faith? There's hope for you today. You can have it back. You can rekindle that flame. Today's our final message in the marriage series, Marriage Made in Heaven, Lived Out on Earth. And today's title is Promise for the Future. You take out your message guide. Theme verse is from Proverbs 5. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you always be captivated by her love. How do you stay in love for a lifetime? If God instituted it to last, why does it seem to fail for so many? What can I do to build a future for my marriage. Those of you that aren't married, many of these principles apply to other relationships, but obviously the the primary focus is in the marriage relationship. And so the first step in constructing a future for my marriage, one that will last a lifetime, is to cherish our spouses. Romans 12.10. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Again, those are actions. Those are things you do, not just things you feel. Feelings follow action. You know, in our marital vows, we promised to love and to cherish until we part in death. But then we seem to forget this part about cherishing, and we even stop saying that we love. But it's cherishing that keeps a marriage fresh, alive, enjoyable, passionate, and yes, happy. Happiness doesn't make a good goal. Happiness is a byproduct of doing the right things. You know, love is described in what chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. But cherishing is displayed in an entire book. What book? You read that book? Chris, you read that book? Now, the Song of Songs makes theologians real uncomfortable. And they say, oh, this is a description of Jesus and the church. They must be reading a different Song of Songs. It's about passionate love, which is completely acceptable within the context of marriage. So when you read something and you go, do you think that's what it means? That's what it means. Read it and sweat. (laughs) Cherish means to notice, to appreciate, to honor, to hold dear. And when we cherish someone, we take pleasure thinking about that person. Just in the middle of the day, you're sitting at your desk and she comes to mind, doesn't she? 
And you likely have a favorite picture. Perhaps you have lots of favorite pictures. You have them on your phone. You have them on your desk. You know, I have pictures of Leanne in my office. I have two offices, one over in the administration building and then a study upstairs. Upstairs, I have a picture of her in high school. And she looks just the same, just the same. But we have these, these pictures that remind us of our love, of our admiration, which we then express through kisses and hugs and touches and also kind and affectionate words. Now, you may say, well, I, I'm not very verbal. No, but when you said I do, you have to. That's an obligation to cherish. Cherish is also listening when this person speaks. It's being interested in this person's life. It's, you know, if, if your husband is an inventor, it's being interested in what he's in, come up with. If your wife likes to buy costumes, you need to be interested in what those, those outfits look like. It's appreciating this person. It's expressing that appreciation with, yes, words, but also some gifts. Some gifts of flowers or cookies or carefully chosen cards. If you say, oh, well, that doesn't really matter in our relationship. Oh, turn to the person beside you and say, does this matter in our relationship? And you have to learn and do what communicates love to that person. Because just because it's what you like to receive may not be what they prefer to receive. That's about love languages. Cherishing is marked also by protecting our spouse's sense of worth and value. It includes the idea that you focus solely on your spouse, fix your attention on that person's best traits, not comparing his or her worst shortcomings to somebody else's strengths. You'll end up in a bad place if you're always comparing your spouse's weaknesses to some idealized person's strengths. You know, we also always want to showcase our spouse's excellence to others. In Gary Thomas's book, very fine book for sale, he calls this relational ballet. And it means holding up this person. Yeah, that, that was actually taken of us a few days ago. It means, it means stabilizing. It means lifting. It means turning your spouse so others can enjoy that person's best side. You know what I'm talking about here. Do you do that or do you demean or criticize publicly? That's the opposite of cherish. Or do you show other people their best side always? All of us marry imperfect people. So we must, and we are imperfect people, so we must always, constantly, continually apply grace and view our loved ones with loving eyes, overlooking weaknesses, forgiving faults freely. And again, there's a, a fine book on, on forgiveness. Ed and Josh Smith wrote this for sale at the kiosk in the bookstore. Also refusing Resentment. Never let bitterness 
or contempt settle in your soul. And if there's something that you're rehearsing about your spouse that's irritating you, you got to get on your face before God and flush that out immediately because contempt will destroy affection. Before overreacting when a situation arises, stop yourself, grab your tongue if you have to, and ask whether this confrontation you're about to have will be beneficial. Because most of the time, your spouse didn't cause the harm deliberately and already feels badly about it. And yet sometimes we can sort of grind our spouse down into dust because we feel the need to express our displeasure. Stop yourself. Stop yourself. We need to offer sincere encouragement. Sometimes we say, I need to encourage you, but it's really veiled criticism. Now, I'm not saying you never confront issues. I mean, sometimes you have to confront issues in a marriage to break down barriers to relationship, to be sure you're on the same page about things. And so you do it honestly, but you do it gently. And you say things in the most positive way they can be said instead of the most extreme negative way they can be said. And be sure that your content and your tone are motivated by love and that they communicate value. You can have a difficult conversation in a way that's not demoralizing. One, one way that you do is you, you ask questions, not with skepticism, not with sarcasm, but you ask questions instead of making accusations. Accusations always divide, but asking questions can bring together. Remember, one of the principles I gave you early in this series was application before accusation, which means you apply it to yourself first before you discuss it with your spouse. That, that's the same as removing the pole out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your spouse's. The more you cherish your spouse, the more joy you will receive from marriage. You finding this to be true? The more, think about this, the more you cherish that person, guess what? The more cherishable she becomes. Her value, his value just continues to increase. And so you regularly reflect on how blessed you are to be married to this special person. I mean, don't, don't minimize this. In marriage, there, here's a person independent from you who has committed before God to spend his or her entire life with you. Every day. And they've given their life into your hands. Don't undervalue that. To maintain motivation to cherish if it's hard for you to forgive and you're bearing some grudges, some resentment, repentance is in order. You need some time before God. You need to remember what you've been forgiven. Remember the price that Jesus paid to give you not only a second chance, but hundreds of second chances. The God who cherishes the imperfect you 
will help you cherish your imperfect spouse. Ask him. You know, I'll give you a secret, a little secret insight here. When my relationship with God is good, my relationship with others will be better. So if you're sour, critical, difficult, hard to get along with, Michael, <laughs> you, you, need to, you need to stop and ask first, am I out of sorts with Christ? Before you start saying how you're out of sorts with your spouse. So you construct a, conduct, construct a future also for your marriage by creating for God's glory. A little bit unusual idea here. But look at this, Genesis 2.18. Y'all know this. We've touched this several times. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He'll really get into some stuff. I will make a helper who is just right for him. That's an interesting statement in it. God wanted to give this man a helper. And that's a correct translation of the Hebrew. The word implies that there's some tasks to accomplish, doesn't it? I mean, he could have said, I'll give you someone to reproduce with. It's not what he said. This is much broader. There's some tasks that need to be accomplished that will require more than one person. Our first task as married couples is to build a marriage. It's to build a home that, that brings, for Christians, a home that brings praise and glory to God. That's the standard for our homes as Christians. And then to use this unique relationship that's defined by lifelong commitment to oneness to achieve something of eternal significance. Because marriage is only for this world. And it passes away. Our marriages must be partnerships that point beyond themselves by desiring in both spouses to become the people God created us to be and then also to do the work God gave us to do. If you're a Christian today, do you know that you have some assignments from God? You know that, Stephen? You know you have some assignments? There's not a single believer in this room that hasn't been made anew in Christ and given tasks to accomplish, Ephesians 2.10. So how are you doing with that? Married Christians, Christians must be outward focused because each spouse has been given talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts to serve God. Not just to serve each other, to serve God. which results in spiritual growth. A spiritually alive marriage will refuse to be dominated by selfish desires, by self-centered interests, by an inward focus, 
A couple whose focus is only inward will live in a very small house, regardless of the square footage. And the spiritually alive marriage will engage in spiritual pursuits of service and ministry and generosity. Rejecting convenience and comfort and pleasure and accumulation as the highest priorities of the marriage. What are your highest priorities? Don't say something spiritual unless your neighbors would say something spiritual. When we don't do what we were created and called to do, we become dissatisfied with our lives. And we tend to wrongly blame our marriages and our spouses for this empty, bored feeling that fills us up inside and we're immersed in it on the outside. Your problem's not the person next to you or across from you. Now look, hobbies and sports are fun. But what are you achieving for God's glory? I wish I could take a survey and have everyone write this down. What are you achieving for God's glory? A creative, God-glorifying marriage will encourage both spouses to experience spiritual transformation. Why does that happen? Well, it happens by the Spirit of God. And we don't completely control him or his movement, but we can avail ourselves of the opportunities for him to work. So how are you using your lives? Participation in church, and I don't mean just sitting here and trying to run out the door as soon as you can get. I mean you come with an attitude of worship. You've spent some time with God this, during the week, and you've read his word, and you've prayed, and you come here with a desire to worship. That gives the Spirit access to your mind and heart. And you give generously. You're not stingy. You, you, you care about impacting his kingdom. And you use your life to serve. Where do you serve? I don't want to know how many games you attended. I want to know where do you serve? And the result of a marriage that's committed to these kinds of goals will be one that experiences joy and purpose and fulfillment. You know, if I said, okay, couples, stand up one by one. Tell me how many and what lives you have impacted for Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that's going to last into the next life. Am I describing your marriage? And if I'm not, what needs to change? Because have you noticed time just runs out and you won't 
get around to it. Malachi 2.15 Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Creating a family. Shaping the life of a child. You know, I think, I think having children, both having them and raising them, may be the most like God we can become. What do you mean? Well, because here you're looking at someone who looks like you. Who has your mannerisms. The good ones and sometimes the not as good ones. And so this child has your image impressed. But the goal is not that that child becomes more like you, but that that child becomes more like Christ. And that the image of God floods that child's personality. I mean, don't you want your children to know God better than you did growing up? Boy, there's not anything greater than to to see our children grow up with fewer wounds, fewer fears, fewer doubts, more faith than we had. Isn't that right? I think that's life's greatest responsibility and also its most rewarding task. Parents... How often do you think parents influence their children's spiritual state? You really believe? Who said always? You really believe that? Always. Every day, every word, every action. Well, I can't be perfect. No, but you can apologize and teach your kids about humility and grace, can't you? Your child is is developing a framework for interpreting not only this life, but God. And you know where most of the input's coming from? Where's it coming from? It's coming from you. How do you act? Are you forgiving? Are you gracious? Are you kind? We teach our children whether they can trust God. You know, I've said for years that we, our children put their father's face on God. All of us put their father's face on God. It's just because it's masculine, masculine, and it's just subconscious. Those of you who are single parents need to avail yourself of some, some godly men, some pastors that can love your children and guide them. Be the right kind of model if you don't have a, a man or a grandfather or someone But we're teaching our children about God all the time. And we're either encouraging or we're discouraging the development of their faith. You know what? When I'm walking closely with the Lord and living according to His Word, my kids know it. You know, my kids will give if I give. My kids will be stingy if I'm stingy. 
My kids will serve if I serve. And they'll love if I love. And they'll be gracious if I'm gracious. See, when I'm walking with the Lord and I'm showing the fruit of the Spirit, it inspires their appetite to know God as well. Aiding your child's spiritual growth, it takes time and effort and energy and self-denial and purposeful attention as well as much, much prayer. But what's more rewarding? Our kids will not just naturally become Christians. It's not like a right of every American to just choose if he will, choose if he won't, choose when he will. We need to avail our kids of the opportunities that are offered to have their character impressed by the faith of others so they'll yield their lives and trust Christ as well. Parents, I implore you, involve your children in faith-building activities. It is something you'll regret when they're grown and they're gone if you don't. They don't want to. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to go to the doctor. This is the training part. And if your kid says, I don't want to go, and if they say, he's boring, don't believe that foolishness. That's manipulation. You go with them. You see whether this person that's loving them and leading them is godly and cares. Don't let, this, don't let the kids control your home. They will break your heart in upcoming years. Partner with pastors. Gosh, we have good pastors, and we have a lot of them. You know why? Because we want... The, the numbers, the ratio to be small enough where they can reach these kids. And we have lots of good adults volunteering, but there's room for more. There's room for you. Partner with the pastors. Know who they are. Know what they're teaching. And find out how your kid's doing. You must know the state of your kid's soul. There's resources available online, brookwoodchurch.org slash phase. But talk with the pastors, cooperate, partner with them. You also construct a future for your marriage by committing to your promises. Malachi 2.14. You cry, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. And, and you say, well, I've never committed adultery. Faithfulness means being true to every promise you've made. Not just not committing adultery. See, here's the point. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A covenant is a unilateral, which means one-sided, commitment made to another person in the presence of God, which is independent of the performance of the other person. A contract is bilateral. It's an agreement between two persons who are totally dependent up upon the performance of the agreement by both. 
So in a contract, if one person fails to perform the terms of the contract, the other is not bound by the contract. It doesn't have to perform either. When we view marriage as a contract, we say, I'll do my part if you'll do yours. And if you don't do what you promise or what I expect, or you make me unhappy, I will leave you and I'll find someone else who I think will keep the promise and make me happy. But see, our commitments, other words, are vows or promises or covenants are not dependent on the performance of our spouses. Marital vows are unilateral commitments made to God and before God and witnesses. We're going to reflect on the promises that we have made our spouses. And we're going to renew our commitments to lifelong love. So you find your spouse and stand up. I don't know where mine is. A bride needs a bouquet. So we're going to renew our commitments, the ones we made in our weddings, and we're going to make new promises today in the presence of God. But look at this, Matthew 19. I've, I've, we've used this many times through this series. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, I want all of you who are single to stand with these couples in a show of support because this is a family and the church works well when the marriages are the healthiest and the most spiritually mature. So you just stand there. If you want to touch one of them or hold one of them's hand in support, you feel free, if they'll let you. <laughs> so I want you to join right hands. Your right hand is the hand of covenant. And in an Old Testament blood covenant, they actually would cut the palm and then they would join right hands. And in blood covenants also, you see God's covenant where he split animals and then the one making the promise went between the animals and said, may it be done to me if I break this word. And that's why in churches, you split the family of the bride, the family of the groom on different sides of the church and walk between. After I ask this, then you can say, I do. Do you take your spouse to have and to hold from this day forward? Well, you can wait just a minute. <laughs> but if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're affirming, you go ahead. You want... For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. 
to love and to cherish until you part in death according to God's holy word. Now answer. I do. Now I'm going to ask you to make further commitments that are based on the things we've learned in this message series so that we can establish spiritual marriages and after each question you can answer, I will. Will you follow God's pattern for marriage by developing oneness? I will. Will you pursue God's purpose for marriage by helping each other become holy? I will. Will you seek God's plan for marriage by expressing love, extending respect, and exercising service? Will you persevere in your marriage by expressing communication, by enduring difficulties, and by extending forgiveness? I will. will you seek passion in marriage that is exclusive and sacred? I will. Will you pursue a future with your spouse by cherishing? By creating something that will last beyond your life, something eternal, and by keeping your covenant promises. I will. 1 Corinthians 13, you know this passage. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or rude or proud. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Do you agree to love your spouse according to 1 Corinthians 13? then you may kiss your bride. Look, that's smacking all over the room. Now, here's what I want you to do as we, as we sing. I want you to reflect. I want you to listen for God, and I want you to reflect on the lessons God has spoken to you in this series and today. You just hold your seat and listen. Don't disturb anybody. Let people hear. Let people hear from God. I want to pray a prayer of dedication. But this is a prayer offered for encouragement, for optimism, for hope. If you know Christ and His Spirit walks with you, there's hope for your home. There's hope for your marriage. Father, I pray that you would bless each couple and our church family. That by your Spirit... You would assist us to love each other with a sacrificial love, not a self-serving love, but one like that Jesus displayed on the cross. Enable, Lord, each couple to be able to experience oneness, so heal the wounds that separate us, that we would experience spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy. Aid us, Lord, to always 
keep our promises to our spouses. May we keep covenants so we can experience lifelong marriages that glorify you. Amen. Counselors, come to the front. Next Sunday is the first Sunday. So I urge you, you know, the the work that's done in here in our marriages, in our homes, in our lives is done by the Spirit. So we pray to ask the Spirit to work. So we'll be here at 8.15 next Sunday morning. And it's the end of daylight savings time. Y'all hold on a minute. All right, we're going to make those going out to be the last in the parking lot to leave. So you can get an extra, extra hour sleep. So come. Your marriage can last a lifetime joyfully. You said, I need more help. The counselors are here. They'll talk to you about your marriage. They'll pray with you. You can call the um, care department. They have people that'll help. They're in Care Connection now. They'll also talk to you about faith because faith is the core issue here. Many resources are for sale. Marriage and forgiveness books are for sale at the kiosk and the bookstore. Thank you for coming. Help us all apply these truths to our homes. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.